Our speaker this morning is Maggie. Maggie is the Director of Services and Operations for World Relief in the Middle East, working primarily out of Jordan. She has also ministered with International Justice Mission in the Philippines, providing services for survivors of sexual exploitation. Just this past year, I had the privilege of visiting Maggie and the work of World Relief as they seek to provide services for the Syrian refugees streaming out of the country into Jordan. Join with me as we welcome Maggie to Black Rock Church. Good morning. Um, it's such a joy for me to be with you here this morning. Um, I've heard a lot about Black Rock Church um, over my years at World Relief, uh, and so just consider it a great privilege to share with you this morning. Uh, BlackRock has faithfully partnered with World Relief for many years. Um, you've partnered with us in Rwanda for almost a decade, supported us countless times um, when there's been disasters as we tried to support vulnerable families. And most recently, BlackRock has become one of our first long-term partners in the Middle East. I'm here today to share more about that partnership. Um, and actually this week as well, Larry will be traveling down and we'll both be in Baltimore at World Relief's headquarters to have some strategic meetings just to learn how we, as the global church, can support our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Um, as Larry mentioned, he had the opportunity to come to Jordan and actually meet some of our staff, uh, meet some of the families that we serve. Um, and actually, I was just reflecting on the break that we went and I, I was driving this big 12-passenger van that Larry was bravely sitting in the back. Um, <laughs> And we went to this place where I was on a hill and then had to attempt like a 17-point turn to get back down the hill before a police officer uh, saw me and let me pull through the gate and pull a U-turn. Uh, but I actually recently went back to that place and he was like, oh, I remember you. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, you had the big van with all the men. And I was like, yep, that was, <laughs> it was mostly men. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was me. Um, so thank you for making me so memorable, Larry. <laughs> Um, so I have the great joy and privilege of living in the Middle East and working with World Relief's teams across the region. Throughout the Middle East, World Relief works to serve, equip, and empower the local church and local communities to come alongside refugees and other vulnerable families. Most of us think of the Middle East and we think only of war and conflict. But I get to see another story. And while there is much suffering, there's also great resilience, there's courage, there's hope. And that's my just joy to be able to share some of that with you today. I get to meet so many incredible people who've endured so much suffering and still choose to love and reach out to their neighbor. I honestly never really thought much about the Middle East growing up. Um, but when I was 22 years old, I moved to Cairo, Egypt for a two-year graduate school program and thus started my unexpected journey of living and serving in this region. Um, I always wish I could tell people that I went to Cairo with this deep sense of personal calling and love for this part of the world, um, but none of that would be true. I went and I knew very little, um, had no real sense of calling or purpose at that time. Um, and I remember landing at Cairo at uh, three in the morning and was very surprised to find that it looked quite different than the Cairo I knew from Indiana Jones. 
Um, I was instantly overwhelmed by the concrete jungle, the noise, the traffic, uh, everything that makes Cairo what it is. I remember I arrived at a hostel where I was the only guest, uh, which was a little bit weird, and there was paint chipping off the wall, and there was cockroaches scurrying across the floor, and I just cried and cried myself to sleep, um, completely sure and that I'd made just a terrible mistake. Um, I woke up in the morning, though, and everything looks different when the sun is dancing across the walls, and I saw like just this tiny peak of the Nile River, and I just remember praying this very tired prayer of trust, telling God that I know I couldn't go back, but I really needed some extra courage to move forward. Uh, during those two years, I worked with a small organization that was serving refugees, and this was prior to the war in Syria. So many of the families that I worked with had been displaced for five, 10, 20 years. I would learn of atrocities and sorrows that honestly my mind still can't fully comprehend. And during those two years, I was consistently asked two questions that I did not know how to answer. The first question was asked so frequently, I started to wonder if my coworkers were telling people to ask me as a joke. It was, why do American women give birth lying down? <laughs> really, I don't know why this was the question, but I think that TV shows and movies had left women in my office just very confused as to why the Americans thought this was an appropriate posture for giving birth. And I honestly had no idea how to answer them, so I just usually affirmed, it, you're right, it doesn't make much sense. But the second question was exceedingly more difficult. And in different languages and through various expressions, I was asked questions that came down to one root question. Has God abandoned us? Can God, God leave a place? Has God left Sudan, Iraq, Ethiopia, and so on? And I was 22 years old, and I was completely unsure of how to answer this question. But when faced with the violence and sorrows that seemed to overwhelm every aspect of daily life, I found myself asking the same question. Where was God? Did God abandon people? Did God leave entire countries? Did God see? Did God see them? Did God see me? And through a long journey of doubt, I concluded that God does not abandon people, nor does he leave entire countries. God lived in me. So the answer to this question of where was God was a question of where were God's people? Where is the church? And the places and moments in history where people are longing for God and looking for God's presence have we as Christ followers shown up in those places? The answer to the question that I so desperately, desperately longed to answer was in me. Across the Middle East and around the world, an incredible, unexpected opportunity is unfolding. From my apartment in Cairo in 2011, I would watch what we called at the time the revolution unfold outside my window. In the years to follow, similar movements would give way to the wars in Syria, Yemen, and then Iraq, resulting in the greatest refugee crisis of modern history. I didn't know it at the time, but behind this backdrop of horror, God was already working to redeem and restore the terrors that humans are capable of inflicting on one another. And when I was a little girl, I prayed for this rectangle on a map covering this series of countries, and I was told that these places had little or no access to the gospel. Now, 20 years later, it's these same nations that I'd prayed for that are showing up at the doors of Christ's followers across the Middle East and in the USA. 
people that had once had little or no access to the gospel are now in places where they can access it daily. People that were seeking God and longing for this to, to an answer to this question of where is God and does God see me are now seeking God with open hearts and finding him through the faithfulness of Christ followers who are opening their churches, their homes, and their lives. To put this crisis in perspective, half of Syria's population is displaced. Refugees now make up 20% of Jordan's population, and families have left all that is familiar, and they struggle to live as the war continues to wage. Many families thought that displacement would be temporary, uh, but are increasingly coming to accept its permanence. I just met a family last week that was saying, we thought you know, we'd be gone for maybe three weeks, then it became three months, and now, we hear, now we're here this many years later. Um, it's indisputable that it will have a permanent impact on people's lives, and the needs of displaced families grow with each day because their opportunities are limited and their resources at this point depleted. This is an incredible opportunity, though, to show up and make God's presence and love known to people that we once thought difficult or impossible to reach. They are truly now arriving on our doorstep. God goes to great lengths to bring back those who are far from him. My friend's brother had made the dangerous crossing from, by boat from Turkey to Greece, which I'm sure many of you saw images of this crossing um, in the news. And when he was greeted on the shore in, Tur uh, in Greece, he was greeted by a priest. And he told her to ask me, why do Christians do this? Why do Christians go down to the shore? Why do they offer people a warm place to stay? Why do they give me a place to pray in the church? Why I responded, well, this is the gospel. It's God's love and grace and action. Isn't this the type of thing that we as Christ followers should be known for? One thing that working in places of war and conflict has made clear to me is that the gospel truly is good news. It is good news for those who have no place to call home. It is good news for those who are weary. And it is good news for those who have only known darkness. So shouldn't it likewise be good news, shown in tangible actions, for refugees arriving on the shores of Europe, at airports here in the USA, in small towns and cities across the Middle East, Europe, and the world, isn't Jesus and the life we are offered good news that we want to share? Jesus says in Matthew 25 familiar verses that honestly we're so quick to overlook. It says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. But the truth is, it is quite possible that many of us will miss this unexpected opportunity. We may not invite Jesus into our homes or provide clothing and food. And we've been given this amazing opportunity to make God's love known to those who were far from Christ. But how will we steward this opportunity? 
I'm gonna use 1 Kings 19 as context for how I think God is calling us to respond to this unexpected opportunity. The story is about Elijah, who was a prophet during the time of the reign of King Ahab. And Ahab, if you know this story, was a wicked king. Ahab did more to anger God than all the kings of Israel that had come before him. He worshiped Baal, a Canaanite god, and openly opposed and challenged God. So God raised up Elijah from Tishbe, a place that's located actually in the north of Jordan, um, as a prophet to oppose Ahab and start a revival in Israel. Immediately preceding uh, the story that we will read today, Elijah had experienced this great victory on Mount Carmel, a story that many of us know, where he called upon God to prove himself against Baal, the Canaanite god, and God had shown up in this mighty way and defeated the prophets of Baal. In today's reading, we meet Elijah immediately after this victory. He is now fleeing for his life. Within a day, he'd gone from this mighty display of God's presence and power to running into the wilderness in fear and despair. It says, Elijah was afraid for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. This is a dramatic turn of perspectives. Fear has a powerful impact on our hearts and minds, and I believe that fear is one of the greatest tools used to distract us from the gospel opportunities God has put in front of us. We have become afraid of the very people that God is asking us to love. We become afraid of families, of children, of people just like you and me, simply because of their culture, their religion, their place of origin. And one of the tragedies I see is that we've become afraid of the Arabic language, a language that's spoken by over 420 million people and is used by our brothers and sisters to worship Jesus every day. Fear is accomplishing its purpose in keeping us from the relationships that make Christ known to those who do not know him. And like Elijah, I am quick to become afraid. I forget so easily the ways that God has shown his faithfulness. We are not always spared from harm, and we're actually called to share in the sufferings of Christ. But what breaks my heart is that so many times we miss opportunities because of fear, fear that could so easily be erased if we simply started a conversation. Refugees in the Middle East hear one of two narratives, and I sit with friends across the Middle East that tell me stories of their friends and their family that have traveled to the USA, to Europe, to Jordan, to Turkey, and experienced the love and welcome of local churches. These conversations are often shared with just such deep wonder at the love that was shown. And thanks to the wonders of technology, these stories then travel back to far-reaching corners of the world to places that you and I will never go, and they plant seeds of hope and faith. These stories have powerful ramifications for the gospel and bring messages of God's light and love into places of great darkness. But people also hear another narrative. They hear one of hatred, of fear, of rejection. And they ask me, do Christians hate Muslims? Will I be killed if I go to the USA? And these stories also travel back to far-reaching corners of the earth. And they too have ramifications for the gospel and plant seeds of darkness. So what seeds are we planting? 
What narrative are we telling with our lives? With the gospel opportunity showing up on your doorstep, even if that doorstep is simply your Facebook profile, what will people know of Christ through your actions? I think we also might miss this opportunity because we don't believe that God wants to use us. Just like fear, shame is a liar that can take hold of our hearts and lead us to count ourselves out of the mission that God's calling us to. We so often feel like we have to get everything right to, and all together to be of use to God. And we count ourselves out, believing that we have nothing to offer. This could not be further from the truth. So let's go back to the text. I have had enough, Lord, Elijah said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I have had enough, Lord. This is so striking to me. Rapid, Elijah's rapid change of heart is so profound. Elijah was accustomed to God showing up for him in these mighty ways through miracles and displays of power. He'd witnessed so much. But to suddenly be fleeing into the wilderness, afraid for your life, so soon after this amazing victory, it must have been a bit of a shock. But wasn't God the same God as the day before? I see myself in Elijah. I have had enough, Lord. Oh, how many times I've said words like this. How quickly I can forget God's faithfulness and withdraw into anger, despair, and start to count myself out of the mission that God's called me to. Like Elijah, I too am full of faith in the moments of joy and victory, and so full of doubt in times of hardship. But I continually see God work through the most ordinary of people. In Iraq, I met a young woman who I will call Sama, and when ISIS came across northern Iraq, only Sama and her sister survived and her family. The rest of her family was murdered, and she and her sister were now vulnerable and being pressured into marriages for survival. I asked Sama why she wanted to work in the community center, providing psychosocial support to other young women. And she said, when ISIS came, they took everything. And the first day I arrived in the displacement camp, I was overwhelmed. Everyone had so many needs, and no one was helping us. I started to become angry. But then I looked around and I said, how can I help? I haven't stopped trying to help. I'm reminded that in war, the collateral damage is not only found in accounts of violence or in the lives lost. You lose all that is familiar, the places, the routine, a sense of belonging. And even if you did return to your home, which everybody longs for, there's this ever-growing sense that the place you called home will never be the same. This is the horrible, painful, and unjust reality of this conflict. Lives have been cut short, both by death and by displacement. But every day that I get to go and see World Release work, I'm so often moved to tears. When I see men and women coming to serve the kids in their community, I'm astounded by the courage it takes to build a new future, even when the circumstances of that future are far different than what you want. I am blown away when I see people like Sama who show up and offer whatever they have to give, even if maybe they don't feel like it's very much. Maybe at times you feel broken, angry, or unsure of how God's working. Or maybe you don't even know where to start. Like Elijah, maybe all we have to offer up is, I have had enough, Lord. But I'm amazed by God's response to Elijah. 
In the story, God miraculously provides food and water, and Elijah travels 40 days to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And what happens next in the story is just one of my favorite in all of scripture. Skipping ahead in the text, it says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God's response to Elijah's despair, his lack of faith was not fury. It was not withholding or growing distant. It was provision, it was pursuit, it was a gentle whisper. This is the God that I see working across the Middle East. A God that is telling those who have wandered far from him or those who have never known him to come home to him, to come just as you are, broken, weary, hurt, and full of doubt, displaced, just come. For in Christ you can come home to a place of belonging. Come and hear the gentle whisper of your Lord calling you home. Our wandering hearts are never too far from God, and God has chosen to make his love known through us, broken as we are. But we cannot do this alone. Elijah tells God that he's the only one left, but this was not true. God has never asked us to do this alone. He places us in community. And at the end of this story, God tells, gives Elijah the gift of Elisha, a co-laborer. He shows Elijah that he's not alone in this mission. And this is exactly what you at BlackRock do for us in the Middle East. Your prayers and support and relationship renews our strength and courage. So thank you for joining me and supporting me on this long journey of bringing light and life and restoration to places of great darkness. Years ago, I met a woman named Aisha. Aisha had endured more atrocities than my mind will ever fully comprehend. She had lost everything and everyone in her life due to a war she didn't understand nor want to have any part in. She told me, the people who did all this to me, they want me to hate. My act of defiance is to love. And Aisha did love daily, faithfully, and with such generosity that I was constantly left in awe. May this also be our act of defiance against the darkness, hate, and conflict of this world. May we love boldly, sacrificially, and bravely as we enter into the sacred act of building relationships. And I've seen the power of relationship over and over again transform people, and people are coming to know Christ, and so often that journey starts with somebody saying, I met someone who... And I believe that there are many people in your life that these same words could be the start of their journey home. We can all commit today to take one small step. Maybe that small step is starting a conversation with your neighbor you've been afraid to reach out to, or maybe it's inviting a refugee into your home, or 
For some of us, it's giving in a sacrificial way or just reaching out and praying for someone. But wherever you are, you can join God in this amazing, unexpected opportunity. And all of you can commit to praying for us. Um, with World Relief, BlackRock is coming alongside the local church in the Middle East, uplifting their efforts as they still serve boldly and at times with great risk. Though the church in Jordan and the Middle East is small, their vision is not. And their courage and faithfulness is transforming lives. I'm going to close with two verses from Luke 1, and they're my favorite in all of the Bible. And it says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. If there's one thing I know to be true, it's this. There's no place dark enough, no place disguised enough, no place far enough to hide the oppressed, the lost, and the hurting from a God who knows their name and hears their cry. God has given us an unexpected opportunity to enter into these places. So let us respond with courage, with grace, and together we can bring God's light and life to places of great darkness. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.